Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of League Lore and More. Last week, we uh, introduced ourselves to uh, Graves and Twisted Fate, and this week we are reading a story uh, from their perspectives regarding the uh, their current situation and, and their, you know, happenings in, in Bilgewater and, you know, the power struggle that is going on and yeah there's you know not gonna be a huge intro here uh we're just gonna get right into it so uh i hope you enjoy it i hope uh you don't find it some of the voices i try to do too cringy um and yeah i hope you learn something i know i most certainly will. I always find something out that I didn't normally know, or there's something that they're kind of adding in here that helps to, you know, paint uh, a few more brush strokes onto the, the canvas that we, we have going here for Bilgewater. So uh, without further ado, we will hop right into that story. story is called Destiny and Fate by Anthony Reynolds. Ah, Bilgewater. It's a hateful, stinking cesspit of murder and treachery at the best of times. And damn, it's good to be home. My back's to the open ocean as I row out across Bilgewater Bay, so I'm facing the lights of the port city, shining like fool's gold in the distance. We'd been running jobs in Valoran, in the City of Progress, and its uglier, downtrodden sister, but things started getting hot. And besides, the prince reached out to us with his contract, and the money was too good to ignore. Far too good. Really, for what looks to me like a wild eel chase, there's gotta be a catch. Always it is. But as I said, the coin on offer weren't to be sniffed at. Still can't believe we're back. Last time we were here, things got a little, well, explosive. Sarah Fortune played us all like a fiddle. Me, TF, Gangplank. No one'd ever taken on that goddamn psychopath like she did. Blew him and his ship to smithereens, with all Bilgewater watching. And TF and I, we got a close-up view. Just dumb luck we survived. Of course, I hold a grudge against her, but I have to admit, it was mighty impressive what she pulled off. She's running the place now, from what I hear. Just a few more captains to bring into line, or a seat to the bottom of Bilgewater Bay. Only a few left who still reckon they can make a play to claim the unofficial throne themselves, like our old friend, the Prince. Can you at least try to keep your mind on the job? We're drifting off course. I glower at TF. 
While I'm working up a sweat, the smug bastard sitting back, absently flipping cars through his slippery fingers. He's far too scrawny to be obfuse on an or anyway, but him criticizing me while lounging like a fancy Demacian high lord rose me the wrong way. The fact that he's right, currents pulled us a couple hundred yards south, meaning I gotta row that extra bit harder to get us where we need to be, just riles me even more. Feel free to take over any time you want, my lord. I growl. Can't, he says, as he lays three cards face down on the upturned barrel in front of him. Busy. Scowl and I glance over my shoulder to get my bearings. We're passing through a forest of sharp rocks jutting out of the ocean like knife blades. Of course, it ain't the ones above the surface that are the problem. Just like always, it's the blades you can't see that are the real killers. They're called the Widowmakers and they've claimed scores of victims over the years. You can see the remnants of the ships they've smashed on them, broken masts wedged between rocks, shattered planks circling in eddies, rotted boarding nets strung up on razor-sharp pinnacles. Most of those wrecks are caused by a damned fool, captains not wanting to pay a boo-foo wave whisper to guide them into port. Not too clever, that choice. Thankfully, we ain't trying to navigate the Widowmakers in anything more than ten feet from bow to stern. The leaky rowboat's name is Intrepid, and I must admit I've grown more than a little fond of her since we met in our past. She's not much to look at, a bit rusty around the edges, and she could use a lick of paint. But she hasn't let us down yet, which is something, and she ain't complained about my rowing. TF turns over each of the three cards one by one. He frowns and shuffles them back up in his hands. He's been doing this since we ghosted off the White Wharf. Something in the cards has got him spooked, but I don't give it any more thought. Tonight's little paddle into the harbor ain't gonna amount to nothing, but we gotta make a show of giving it a solid try. I'm just damn pleased we got half the gold crackens up front. As far as I'm concerned, that's all we'll be getting, and that's fine by me. Easiest coin we've ever made. A splash of seawater from my oars slaps TF in the face. He stops shuffling his cards and looks up, glaring. Do you mind? He says. Nope, I don't mind one bit. My bad. I give him a shrug and keep on rowing. He takes off his hat and wipes his cheek. Once done, he gives me another glare and puts it back on. Pulls it down low in front, trying to seem all mysterious. Looks like a damn fool to me. I try to keep the smirk off my face as I dig one of my oars into the water again. Get him good this time, right in the side of the head, smack. Oh, for luck's sake, he snaps, glowering at me. Sticks one finger in his ear and gives it a good waggle. You're doing that on purpose. Can't help it, I says. It's your own fault, trying to look fancy with your mighty fine coat. And you're having a bath once a week. Brings out something mean in me. I get him again, perhaps a little more than I intended to. Soaks him to the skin. Infuriated, he starts to stand up, leveling a finger at me. But that just sets Intrepid rocking wildly. He sits down in a hurry, clinging to the sides of the little rowboat, a hilariously terrified expression on his face. For all his show of fanciness, in that moment all TF's cool just got thrown overboard. I shake my head, chuckling. Still makes me laugh that he's one of the river folk. One that lived half his life in Bilgewater, no less, and he still can't swim. He's staring daggers at me, his perfumed and carefully oiled hair now hanging limp, 
and dripping like seaweed. I try not to, but it sets me giggling again. You're an imbecile, he says. I roll on. After a time, the tolling of third bell reaches us, drifting across the harbor from Bilgewater. We're here, TF announces, finally consulting his cards once more. I look over my shoulder. A jagged rock big enough to be a small island is looming before us, but it doesn't look much different from any of the others. You sure? Yes, I'm sure, he replies sharply. Still annoyed about the water, I guess. I've checked and rechecked. The cards keep telling me this is the one. There's quite a few little tricks TF can do with those cards of his. He can use them to get in and out of places we'd otherwise never had access to, which is mighty handy when trying to pull off a job. I've even seen him hurl a card to make a wagon explode like it was packed with gunpowder. But what he's been doing tonight is proper old Blood River folk stuff. Must say, it's usually pretty accurate. At TF's direction, I pull Intrepid in close, rowing around to the leeward side of the sheer rock face. The swell rises and falls, threatening to, rock, to smack us against it. But I keep her steady and drop anchor when TF tells me we're at the right spot. The rock towers overhead. So, how do we get up there? I ask. We don't, he says. The cards tell me the shrine's inside. I don't see no cave entrance. Then I see TF's grin, and my heart sinks. He points overboard, down into the water. You ain't serious, I mutter. Last time we were in Bilgewater, I thought I was going to drown. Chained to a cannon kicked overboard. TF saved me, but it was a close thing, and I ain't too keen to relive the experience. Afraid so, partner, he says. Unless you want me going in by my lonesome. So you make off with the loot and claim the rest of those krakens without me? I don't think so. I ain't forgotten that this son of a dumb worm has left me high and dry before, running off with the coin and leaving me to face the consequences. Those years locked up ain't ones I'm getting back. I thought you didn't believe the shrine existed, says TF. If I recall correctly, you described it as a wild eel chase, right? Yeah, well, I still think it's a load of superstitious horse manure, but on the off chance it ain't, I want my cut. He's the one smirking now as I start taking off my coat and boots. I make sure my shells and cigars are secured and watertight, then check and recheck that my big double-barreled shotgun, Destiny, newly forged and piltover, to my own specifications, is tightly wrapped in oil skins and strapped snugly across my back. I roll up my sleeves. So where's this tunnel, then? I dive in. Hope I ain't jumping right into a school of frenzied razorfish. It's bastard cold and bastard dark, but I kick down, going deeper. Fish and gods know what else start in front of me, flickering at the edge of my vision. There, while it's all dark down here, there's a patch that's, well, darker, further below. A tunnel entrance. Guess TF's cards were right. I swim into it and soon realize the water outside weren't dark at all, not compared to this. I can't even see my own hands in front of me. It ain't too wide, neither. My fingertips scrape the smooth stone on either side with every pull. Glancing back, I see the little circle of blue marking the tunnel entrance. I reckon I've got just enough air to turn around and make for the surface. I go on any further and I ain't getting back out that way. TF better be right about this. If I drown down here, I swear next harrowing I'll be back to haunt the bastard. There's light up ahead and I kick off the tunnel floor toward it. 
thinking I found a way out. But no, it's just a bastard glowing jellyfish, tentacles drifted like deadly tow lines. Ain't going near that thing. I swim on now, completely blind, panic slowly rising like a blood moon tide. I hit a wall in front, and for a horrible moment, I think I'm at a dead end. Instinct kicks in, and I push straight up, searching for air. But all I achieve is smacking my head on the rock above. Hard. The cold numbs the pain, but I reckon there's blood in the water. Not exactly ideal to be bleeding. Berserker sharks can smell that miles away. I feel trapped, like a rat in a water-filled barrel. I might drown for real this time. There's got to be a way through. I scrabble around desperately, feeling blindly at the walls. So, seems like there's curving spirals carved in the stone, but that ain't too interesting right now. The air in my lungs feels like poison, and my strength's starting to fade when I find the opening. Kicking through, I suddenly see moonlight overhead. I swim up, break the surface, sucking a deep, ragged breath. I'm alive. Treading water, I take stock of my surroundings. I'm inside a cave partially open to the sky, with the moon shining down. I paddle over to a rocky ledge and clamber out. Gra crabs the size of my head skitter out of my way. They've each got one overgrown blue claw, and they're waving them at me like they begrudge my presence here. Well, that's fine with me, never liked crabs. Make my skin crawl, they do. Too many legs. First things first, I unsling Destiny and unwrap her oil skins. In the moonlight, I give her a quick inspection. Checking the loaded loading mechanism and trigger. Looks good. I load a couple of shells and suddenly things feel a whole lot brighter. Not much that gives me the fear when I've got the good lady destiny locked and loaded in my hands. Took you long enough, says a voice. I almost unleash both barrels before I realize it's just TF. He's leaning against a rock, trying to look all detached and suave since he took the easy way in with his cards. Damn near shat myself, you stupid bastard, I growl. You're bleeding, he says. I touch my scalp. My hand comes away red. I'll live. Hope I'm right about that. He might try to play it cool, but TF's still looking at me, and I can tell he's concerned. I won't admit it, but I appreciate that. Don't get all excited. I'm fine. I look around, noting that every inch of the walls is inscribed with curving patterns, buru carvings. Takes me a moment to realize what they are. That's a lot of serpents. I say, stating the obvious. Huh, maybe there's something to this wild eel chase after all. Still think this is nothing but a myth? TF asks. I just grunt in reply. Even if I am starting to come around, I ain't giving him the satisfaction yet. See, the thing we've been hired to find is a Bilgewater legend, something any sane individual would dismiss as no more real than the title trickster, or the legends of the summoners. The Abyssal Crown. It's said that whoever wears the crown commands the beast below, and whoever commands the beast below would control the waters around the Serpent Isles. Control them, and well, you'd naturally control Bilgewater. That's why the prince is so desperate to get his golden hands on it. Not much Missy Fortune could do to dispute his claim if he was wearing the Abyssal Crown. So where's the shrine? I say. There's a passage leading farther in back over there, TF says, gesturing deeper into the cave. Perhaps it's through there. No more swimming, I hope. The passage TF found ain't much more than a crack in the rocks. He's got no meat on his bones and slips through like a flounder. Mine is the more robust and I dare say more admirable 
physique, and I lose a few buttons trying to squeeze through. I'm grumbling and swearing under my breath, cursing that double helping of chowder I scarfed down earlier in the night when T.F. shushes me, forefinger tapping pointedly on his lips. With a final grunt, I'm through, almost falling flat on my face. Then the smell hits me like a fist. It's a stink not dissimilar to the vile, awful, and fish guts reek of the slaughter docks. Makes the eyes water, brings back bad memories, too. Moonlight filters down through a gap in the cave ceiling, but it's still dark. Takes me a moment to register the sheer amount of flotsam and jetsam piled up around the place. Looks like a hoarder's paradise, with all manner of junk and refuse filling every nook and cranny. This cavern's larger than the last, and every part of it, well, every part that doesn't have random crap heaped up against it, is also covered in boohoo carvings. More serpents. I'm sensing a theme here. There's a big old pool of black water to one side, probably connected to the same bastard tunnel that tried to drown me. But there's no way all this refuse and junk got washed in here. Nah, this was brought here by someone. In truth, there's a strange kind of order to it, even if it's the kind of order imposed by a mind twisted like a sailor's knot. There are barrels and boxes, chests and nets, fishing tackle and rusted harpoons, lengths of long rotted rope, piles of shells and stones are arranged in strange stacks, and jars of fetid liquid and gods know what else are lined up on crude shelves made from driftwood. A rusted anchor leans against a wall and a ship's barnacle-covered figurehead. A buxom glass lass with a fishtail is wedged between a couple of boulders. Her flaking paint makes it look like her skin is coming off. Broken masts crisscross overhead like crooked rafters. Seaweed hangs from them in long strands alongside little bundles of slowly spinning fishbones and twigs. Tied with twine and hair and torn ribbons of rotting sails. And there in the shadows toward the far wall, half hidden among the bric-a-brac, there's something that looks an awful lot like... You think that's it? I whisper. It's an altar of sorts carved straight out of the stone wall, made to look like a swarming mass of sea serpents, red fins, bile belchers, ebony spine throats, the lot of them. It's surrounded by hundreds of unlit candles, melted wax everywhere as well as dozens of skulls from all manner of beasties. More than a few human skulls in there, too. The Abyssal Shrine. There's Awen. He's always been a superstitious type, being riverfolk and all. Yeah, that's it, all right. There's an awe in TF's voice. TF starts picking his way over to the shrine. I follow a little more slowly, eyeing the shadows. Feels like about now is when something bad would usually happen. That tends to be the way these things go for us. Of course, I'm always watching, TF. You better not be trying to pocket that crown on the sly, I growl. He gives me a dirty look, but doesn't bother replying. Something catches my eye, then, and I think my heart stops for a second. There's an elderly woman lying on a knee-high rock shelf nearby. I almost missed her, scanning right over her before I realized what I was seeing. Ah, hells, I breathe. Now my heart's going again, beating like a Noxian war drum. She's on her back, hands clasped in front of her, like a statue of the dead. Actually, by the looks of her, she might well be dead, or damn close. Her clothes are half rotten, and she's the color of a weak dead fish. Might be the light, or lack thereof, but it also looks mighty like the veins in her see-through skin are ink black. There's uh, an old lady over here, I hiss. 
TF's at the shrine, giving it the once over. Huh? He says absently. I said there's an old lady over here. I repeat a little louder, glancing over at her to see if she wakes up. She doesn't. TF glances back. What's she doing? Sleeping, I whisper. Or being dead. I don't know which. I give her a sniff and almost wretch, but she stinks something fierce, so probably dead. TF is making his concerned face, his brows meeting in the middle. He usually reserves that for a really bad hand of cards, or finding a fresh stain on the ridiculously overpriced tailored jacket he got in Piltover. I guess just leave her be then, he says. Brilliant. I change the subject. Any sign of the crown? No. He turns back to the shrine. It should be here. I move toward him to help him with the search. When the woman gives a rasping snort behind me, I turn fast, shotgun leveled, but she doesn't stir. Alive, then. I look at what I'm doing and shift my aim toward the sky. What was I gonna do? Shoot a sleeping old grandma? No matter how bad she smells, that seems like it would just be inviting a whole shipload of bad luck down upon us. Turning back, I keep a wary eye on the old bat, just in case. Then I step on something. Something that moves. Something that gives out a muffled shriek. There's another person in here, completely buried beneath a pile of rotting sailcloth. He scrabbles away from me like a cornered dog, panicked eyes wild. By the cut of his cloth and the, and the gold earring, he has the look of a sailor. But one that ain't had a good feed in a while. It's then that I see the rusted shackle around his leg, connected to a chain, which in turn is bolted to the wall nearby. Seeing he's no threat, I ease Destiny's barrels up. I nod to TF, who'd spun around, glowing cards at the ready. Easy now, I say to the captive, holding up a hand. Ain't here to do you no harm. Get me out of here, he whispers, eyes starting between me and the sleeping old woman. I don't want to be no sacrifice. Was just sent here to look for the old crown. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. His voice is getting louder as his panic builds. Who knows how long the poor fellow's been chained to a wall down here. Or why. Now then, son, keep it down. I say, trying to be all calm-like. Get me out of here. Shut him up, hisses TF. Why you always gotta order me around, huh? I snap, making a show of turning toward my partner in crime and jabbing a finger at him. I got this, alright? It's just like when... It's a simple misdirection technique. One I learned from TF, actually. Get your mark's attention with a sudden movement, direct their focus where you want them to look, and they won't see the thing you don't want them to see. Case in point, the prisoner's frantic gaze shifts to TF, and he don't notice me stepping in close till it's too late. I slam the butt of destiny square into his face. I ain't trying to kill him, but I want him to have a good long sleep. Throw a glance over my shoulder, but it seems the old bird didn't hear anything. Probably stone deaf. Still, the sailor seemed pretty worked up. I'm starting to get the feeling there's something mighty wrong about her. Nicely done, TF says. I give him a nod and kneel down beside the unconscious captive. He looks a bit familiar. I think I recognize him, I say. I yank down his collar, popping a few buttons. Yep, there it is. Small tattoo, a pair of crossed hand cannons. Yeah, this is one of Missy Fortune's boys. High-ranking one, too. Reckon she'd pay handsomely to have him back. TF grunts in amusement. Seems the prince isn't the only one after the crown. 
looks like. Wonder if she'd pay better. Need to find it first, he says. What did he say about being a sacrifice? Far as I'm concerned, if that old woman is strong enough to overpower Misfortune's man, she's either got help, which could be close by, or there's much more to her than it seems. Either way, I ain't keen to stick around. Let's just get out of here, I mutter. This don't feel good. But we're so close, T.F. says. It's right here, I know it. Give me a little longer. Feels strange, me wanting to cut and run, and him wanting to stay. That ain't the way these things usually play out. I cast another uneasy glance at the old lady, but give a Rollington nod. All right, but be quick. TF seats himself on the floor and starts dealing out cards before him, face down in a symmetrical pattern. I leave him to it and start poking around, prodding into dark spaces about with Destiny's barrels, and being a bit more cautious of where I plant my feet. I find some old tarnished coins and more than a little surprised to see a few gold kragans among them. I pocket those, sliding a glance over at TF to make sure he doesn't notice. You certain it's here, I say. TF lifts up a card so I can see it. The picture looks like, well, it looks like a gold crown in the shape of a serpent. Don't think I've ever seen that card before, I say. Nor have I, says TF. It's never existed till now. The crown's here, somewhere. I've never really understand those cards of his. I keep searching, but after a while I get the sense we're being watched. Can't say I much like the feeling. I turn around in place, looking into the darkness. There are flickers of movement at the corners of my vision, but it all goes still when I focus on them. I try to shake it off. Probably just more crabs. Still, seems like getting out of here would be a good idea sooner rather than later. D.F. mutters to himself, then scoops up his cards. He looks around, frowning. You get the feeling we're being watched. Not just me, then. I'm not sure if that makes me feel better or worse. I catch another glimpse of movement and find my eye drawn to an upturned bucket on the floor. Did it? Did it just move? I keep focused on it, and after a moment, the bucket does indeed inch along the floor, just a smidge, before stopping again. I reckon I've seen a few odd things in my life, but I can't say I've ever seen a bucket acting sneaky before. I take a step closer, leaning down toward it. There's a hole in the side of it, and it looks like, yep, there's an eye staring out right back at me. A big yellow staring eye. Got you now, you little, I say, leveling destiny at it. Seeing its ruses up, whatever's within, it flips over the bucket and makes a break for it. I almost shoot before I see it's nothing but a damn octopus. I hear TF chortle as the rubbery thing goes squelching across the cave floor, hauling itself along with a surprising turn of speed. It's only got a single eye and it's still staring at me as it scoots backward. That's not something you see every day, TF says. The gangly green thing flops down along to the base of the rock shelf where the old woman sleeps. It reaches up with a pair of tentacles and starts climbing. Well, don't let it wake her up, he says TF. What do you want me to do, shoot it? Don't you think that might just wake her up? TF has a card at the ready, but doesn't throw, probably on account of not wanting to risk hitting the old woman. I don't know, grab it or something. I ain't touching no one-eyed octopus, Tobias. He gives me a look at the use of his real name. I've told you not to call me that, he says. It's twisted fate now, all right? I roll my eyes. I ain't calling you that. It's stupid and pretentious, and the old woman gives a shuddering snort 
and we cease our bickering instantly. We look over to see the slimy beastie wrapping its tentacles around her face. There's an unpleasant squelching sound as it pulls itself onto her head like a grotesque bonnet and attaches. Its big yellow eye blinks. That ain't right, I murmur. Then the old woman sits bolt upright. And that's where we will pick up next week uh, in our story. Uh, you know, I call it a short story, but it's uh, incredibly long. And so, bit of a cliffhanger. We'll see who this woman is and uh, how she is controlled by an octopus. And um, why she is, you know, or what she's doing here guarding uh, the crown, if it is here. And um, yeah, that is all. Uh, no big long outro. And uh, yeah, I hope you will stick around next week for the conclusion of this story before we jump into, you know, kind of the last few characters for Bilgewater. Not a ton of them uh, in this section, but still have a few more to go. So um, stick around for that. And uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, see you next week. Bye.